You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. England sealed their fifth away test win in a row, their best run away from home since 1914, to win their World Test Championship Series against Sri Lanka 2-0 after another Joe Root Masterclass. We'll be talking about that, the new Wisdom Cricket Monthly, and a whole host of other international series that have gone on in the past week and more. I'm Yaz Rana, and on today's show, I'm joined by the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Unfortunately, Harry Kane has, has not yet got back to us on whether or not he wants to come on the show. So yeah, watch that space. But I think it's time. <laughs> It'll be there. Don't worry about it. After losing the toss on a pitch that looked progressively hard to bat, that was quite an impressive win for England. The Seamers took all 10 wickets in the first innings. James Anderson's six for 40 were the best figures by a Seamer aged 38 or more in Test cricket in over 107 years. Joe, how impressed were you with Anderson? And do you think his performance, as well as Brawls in the first S, perhaps complicates England's rotation policy? Um, and also we've got a question from one of our listeners, Luke Redman, who asked, should England consider four seamers and one spinner in India with Root bowling more? Are Broad or Anderson better picks than best in those conditions? I'm aware I asked you three questions there, <laughs> which is a um, journalist in a coronavirus briefing. Um, so you can be a politician and pick the least threatening of those three questions to answer. There were so many, I've instantly forgotten all of them. Um, but I will, I'll go with uh, Anderson's brilliance to start with. Um, yeah, I mean, he was absolutely superb. But the thing is, it, it's just obviously no surprise, any conditions these days, you expect Anderson at the very least to go for no runs and more than likely take a load of wickets, uh, was, which is exactly what Broad did in the first test. It's an interesting one because they are both doing the job perfectly and they're both making the plan look like an excellent one where one plays per test in these conditions but they are going so well we are getting to a point where do we have the luxury to say only one of them play uh, I would personally continue with it for the time being but when we come down to a third test and perhaps the series is on the line 
it's going to be pretty tough to say, yeah, you, you take a break, it's your turn to sit out if you've just taken five for spit and basically won England the game. So it's one to keep an eye on. I think it's, it's the thing that's working, so stick with it for the time being. But um, I, I would pick two spinners. I, would, I think it's an easy trap for England to fall into. It's one they fell into actually in 2012 when they only picked Swan for the first test of that series, got hammered, then realised that they needed two specialist spinners. Monty came in and then England went on to win that series and obviously India haven't been beaten there since. So I think it would be foolish to go back to a, a one-spinner policy and Root taking two for none obviously makes it a little bit more tempting, but that was, that was a tail end of innings. I think it's, we shouldn't read too much into that. Um, and Leach and Best, they had their struggles in the series, but they also took their wickets. Uh, they also haven't had a huge amount of bowling over the last year, as we've talked about. So I think... It all worked out pretty well in the end. It, it, it was a beautiful accident of a tour, wasn't it? This tour was meant to have happened last year. Imagine England were going to India, having not played a test match since Pakistan. And, and I think they've upped their chances by, I don't know, 20% as a result of this Sri Lanka series win. Um, and yeah, things are going pretty well. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the broad Anderson question is interesting because I think it just shows that there's actually, there are lots of different ways to take wickets in the subcontinent. Like you kind of assume from like the distance that like actually you need really good spinners and you need like a kind of a quick you can take the pitch out of the equation but then also I think I think this test kind of showed that you or this series that you can you do lots of different things like you can focus purely on kind of boring an opposition out and forcing the mistake you know like with the 50th ball outside off stump or you can pick spinners that will come into the game like on day five or, or you can pick like England kind of like to have all their bases covered at the moment with Mark Wood uh, as well but I think that's the other question is whether you want Broad and Anderson or one of those two under proper quick because you had Anderson and Broad sort of were taking all the wickets and then Mark would like was struggling throughout the series he was sort of like uh, he was bowling really quickly sort of hitting people on the glove hitting people on the helmet actually not not taking wickets and you get to the point where you think like how like how much do you value that the fact that he's got the extra pace over the fact that you've got you know these two all-timers who have proven time and again they can do it even if they're not going to like do it in exactly the same way it's, it's, I think it's a really interesting one but I think that like that could also come into equation like you could play Broad and Anderson in two spinners I think possibly might be something they consider as well especially if Ben Stokes is bowling as well as he's done recently he could and also don't ask too much of him and we can't afford him to get injured but he could play a similar role to Wood if he's used in short sharp bursts to complement Broad and Anderson yeah I mean we should, should say that Wood claim possibly the most important dismissal of the series on day one when Chandamal and Matthews had added about 100 on the kind of pitch where if it was Mahela and Kumar they'd have added you know 300 and put the game right out of reach and he kind of that is the kind of thing that kind of only he can do where it was you know a, like a, a booming inducker reverse swinging that Chandamal had like absolutely no chance against uh, and that is the other side of the coin I guess the thing is that like at that point he'd taken one wicket in about 50 overs in the series and it's whether the potential to take wickets like that outweighs the sort of the was like the guaranteed returns of the broad Nansen. It is a really tricky one and I don't usually envy the position the selectors are in, I guess. Phil, that wicket of wood was your moment of the week. Yeah, for the reasons that Ben outlined. Um, and I think your heart went out to him as well because he pounded in from the fore end for four days the previous week for no reward. Uh, and I don't think many people thought he was going to play that second test until it was announced that he's coming home 
as part of the rotation rest recuperation policy that we may come on to later. Uh, and so to see him uh, finally get his, his reward and then to follow it up with two more as well, um, dovetailing with Anderson in that first innings, first time in, in test history, I think, that all 10 wickets were taken by a seamer in the first innings and all 10 by spinners in the second. Uh, so, yeah, he was, he was, you know, hanging in there was Woody. And, so, and to see him, see him get his results and pick up three for 80-odd, I think it was, which in the context of a Sri Lanka test match is, a, is an excellent return for a quick. Um, and he, you know, he gave a lovely little interview as he does afterwards, says something like, you know, it could have been 2054 and I'd still be running in from the fort end, naught for 3,000. It might be one for 3,000 now, but I'll take it. You know, ended up three for 3,000. Uh, and I think England will be delighted with that second test match because it was a more kind of complete, complete performance overall, I would say, and fewer players bummed out. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a test where more, more players had, had their moments, had an influence on the game. And as Joe said, it does, it does sort of tickle the fancy as we move into to the, next, to the really big stuff in a week or two's time. Joe, we were talking about this yesterday. I think that it's not just away sides that have really poor preparations for test series nowadays. It's home teams as well. Like Sri Lanka had that horrible first innings in the, in the first test match. Yes, they just played test cricket, but they've been playing test cricket in completely different conditions. And India will arguably go into this series more undercooked than England. And I, I still think India will win 4-0, but I think England have more of a chance of getting a one in the series, having played these two tests and having won both these two tests. I, than I would have previously thought. Does, does anyone agree with that? Or <laughs> So are we kind of hoping that India get caught cold because they've been busy beating Australia on their own patch, basically? <laughs> yeah, but there'll they'll, they'll be a few changes to that team that, that won the last test. A few of those players wouldn't have played much cricket recently and, and, and none of them would have played cricket in India for, for quite a long time, for a very long time, actually. Phil? Uh well, I'm, I'm riding a punditry wave because I called the 2-0 against, against Sri Lanka and I'm useless at predictions, as Joe will testify, but I got that one right. Um, and I've been saying for a while, um, in, in, in the face of blanket pessimism on this panel, it has to be said, uh, I've been saying for a while that I think England will, will, take, will take one of these four test matches. Uh, I think my prediction for what it's worth is 2-1 India, 3-1 India maybe. Um, but I, I think England have got too many match winners uh, to go four test matches without getting a result. That's, that's my, my reading of it. Um, they've got three or four world, world-class cricketers. Um, I'd have been saying this with less confidence if Ravi Jadeja was, was fit to play the whole series. I think history has shown us that England against left-arm dart bowling spinners, uh, they don't fancy them. And, and they struggle against them, especially with five left, uh, five right-handers in the top six, as as is going to be likely, maybe maybe four four in the top six, but certainly a predominance of right-handers. To have Jadeja not in there, and I'm not saying that India's spin bowling cupboard is particularly bare, but he is a, a world-class operator. To have him not there gives England another little little kick. I think it gives them another boost and. And look, I'm, I'm saying it here and now, and you can laugh at me in a month's time, but I'm saying at the moment that England definitely take one of those test matches. Yeah, I think the, the other thing as well, that I mean, the India series went over Australia was a bit of a rebuttal of this because that was a properly team series performance. But actually, with a lot of significant team series, either by the wins or impressive way performances, you've seen how a couple of like great players at their peaks can really paper over quite a lot of cracks. Like it's quite easy to look at England's team and think like, 
pull a few like slightly unconvincing spinners, a top three that's not really had much experience in Asia. Uh, how are they going to cope kind of thing? But actually, if Root is back in his absolute peaks, it looks like he might be, and he has a, a properly great series, and you've got Stokes, who's been the best cricketer in the world for a while now, and Anderson and Broad at their absolute best, then actually the rest doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter so much. I mean, if Root's coming in at 30 for two, that doesn't really matter if he's then scoring double hundreds. It's a... Uh, so, so I, I, yeah, I, I, I am more optimistic about England now than I, I was before. Two I weeks think. ago. Like, if, if, two if, weeks if, ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago, Ben. And I, I think basically if, if they can stay in games, then they might, they might one where they win a toss, put up a big title, India have a slightly subpar performance and all of a sudden they're ahead in one. I can, see, I can, I can just about see uh, a win happening, I think, even though, yeah, 4-0 four, four is still where my money would be, but I'm less confident of that now than I was before, I think. Do you not think that not having two world-class spinners is 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 a problem joe used the example of the 2012 tour where england went in with one one spinner for the first test but england don't have swan and panasar how 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 do you think leach and best will go in that series uh i i mean obviously you'd rather have swan and panasar than than best and leach i think and uh but i i don't think i mean it might well be what one of the things that stops england from getting i mean it, it could be a factor but equally like there are lots of different ways to take wickets, even in the subcontinent, and they are both spinners that it, it might be that they just don't play as all like you know all encompassing a role as Swan and Panazar did before. Like I think the while it was kind of an extreme example with quicks taking all ten and then spinners taking all ten, like as much as they're not on the level of sort of you know forcing errors and taking wickets on flat pitches yet, when the pitch does spin, they are like very, very capable, and that's obviously kind of down to their sort of upbringing at Somerset and that Taunton ground. So I guess, like, it's, I mean, yeah, you know, there's, there's room for improvement there, but I think there's also reasons to think that they could well come into the game and the series that goes on, and especially Leach. I mean, Leach was, you know, brilliant in Sri Lanka in 2018, and while he was a little bit, he still had, he had good returns in this series in Sri Lanka, uh, even though he was clearly not his best. And I think England can be confident that he'll get back to that level where he's not bowling bad balls and where he's getting the most out of a surface that's a bit helpful, I think. Like, I think that Leach has had a pretty impressive start to his test career all, all taken. And if, he's, if he does get back to that level, then that's another sort of tick in England's box, I suppose. I think if they play only one of those two, then I think it's Leach every day of the week. And I think what we saw in those two test matches just gone um, is that Leach is a, is, is a better banker, I think, for Root. Uh, than Bess is. Bess had some nice moments, was gifted a few wickets in, in, in both of Sri Lanka's collapses, but also bowled a couple of nice deliveries in there as well. I thought he bowled well to, to Matthews in that second innings and got him out clean bowled. Uh, but still, uh, Bess is very much a work in progress as a test match spinner. Um, my instinct is to agree with Joe and that I think they probably will go in with two and they probably will be those two. But if, if India's uh, brains trust look at the pitch and decide to create a little bit more pace and bounce in it than they would do normally because they don't have Jadeja, because they do have Bumrah back fit and so on and so on, then it's possible that England would go in with one, in which case I think it would be Leach. But the other question, and I feel like I'm so dull talking about this every week, but Moeen Ali, I know that he wasn't, he would have come in undercooked in that second test match, but I would like to have seen him play, to be honest, instead of, instead of Sam Curran. Um, 
just to get some overs in his under his belt because I think he he has to be part of the equation when it comes to four test matches in India. Uh, and if 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 Don Bess is going to going to bat at eight in this team and be expected to 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 both contain and attack, then Moeen Ali with a few overs under his belt, I still think is a slightly better bet in that role. And of course, he also made two hundreds last time he was out there. So while bet offers useful nuggety thirty odds, and he it was an important not that he that he he offered England in the second innings, uh, sorry, in the first innings of the Test match just gone. Uh, and he's a likeable cricketer and all of that, no question. But I still think that Moen is a better option overall. And it's a shame that he won't have any overs under his belt going into that first test, save for a few, a few practice days. So, yeah, I think Joe's probably right. Probably will be those two, but uh, they can't discount Moen Ali. And interestingly, Ed Smith said this in his press conference last week. He said that he'd been speaking to Moen, that Moen's totally switched on. He's got through the quarantining issue uh, he's ready to roll. He's, he's, he's absolutely up for this. Um, and Smith made a point of making that point. So possibly he's more in their, their thoughts than maybe some people tend to think uh, from the outside looking in. As I mentioned in the intro, Root was brilliant again. He's nearly already scored as many runs in 2021 as he did in 2020. Joe, does that, does that rank as one of his best test hundreds for you? Um, yeah, we've been debating this for a piece. The website, I mean, the, the knock he played at the Wanderers... Uh, a few years ago, when he, I don't think he was quite number one batsman in the world at that point, but he had been the previous summer, uh, which was such a, a fluent knock on a tricky pitch against a good attack. But I think this this innings takes some real beating. I mean, he just looked so in control. Uh, you can look at the Sri Lankan attack, and you can say it's not the strongest, and that is fair. But it was the way, in particular, he played Embaldenia. He actually scored more fluently against Embaldenia than, than the other spinners, I think, certainly more than he did against Pereira. And just looked so completely in control. And, I mean, it's fantastic having Jack Callis there. I'm sure he must be giving great advice to the young players. But, but how about watching Root? I mean, the, the way that even Sibley goes out and bats in the second innings, how much impact is watching how Root does it going to have on the dressing room? Technically, but also in terms of confidence. If he can go out there and make it back easy, it suddenly looks like a, a different pitch. And, I mean, I, I actually agree. But I've, I've sort of changed my mind based on the last couple of weeks, which is perhaps being... Um, a bit fickle, but then aren't we all? Uh, I think England will win a test match in, in India now. Uh, and that's primarily because of the way Root is, is batting. Um, I think look, India's attack is better and they will have more than one person who looks like taking wickets, which is basically what Sri Lanka looked like. But if he goes and bats like that in India, uh, I think England will te- win a test and I think he will score plenty of runs. Can you imagine what this pod's going to be like if England win the first test? <laughs> We've got a question uh, on, on another one of the bowlers from Jamie Burkamp. Beyond his ability to make things happen, is Sam Curran currently up to it in the test arena with either bat or ball? I think that's potentially slightly harshly phrased, but Curran hasn't hit a test 50 in over two years now. Phil, what do you make of his recent ish development for the test cricketer? Jamie um, Burkamp? Yeah. Is it? Good touch. Felt, felt the same way as well. Really? Oh, I like it. Um, so Jamie Bergkamp wants a serious answer to that question, does he? Okay. Um, oh, the, the, I'm not going to sit here and say that Sam Curran isn't a test player because he's given so many examples over the last three years uh, where he does affect and change and influence games of cricket. They don't, they don't pick him by accident. Um, he's not in there uh, and not noticed in the dressing room. They pick him because 
when push comes to shove, uh, they still think that he is a big match cricketer. Um, you, you can't live off the India series at home forever, sure. Uh, but he's still a reasonably young and inexperienced Red Bull cricketer as well. And that has to be borne in mind. And he, he was given a new ball in the West Indies a couple of years ago in subcontinental-esque conditions. That's not, that's not his, his game. He's not, going to, he's not going to affect too much with the ball in Sri Lanka either, but he's going to, he's going to affect things in England. Um, he's going to affect things in South Africa. Uh, and while every player is allowed dips in form, and we've seen it, especially with England's middle-order players. I mean, we mentioned Moeen Ali. A more mercurial middle-order player you won't really find. But, but Sam Curran has the, has the components to, to influence games of cricket if and games of test cricket, if there is enough variety around him, if Ben Stokes is fit and can bowl, uh, and if Moeen Ali is, is still a part of the, the thinking, if Josh Butler can keep wicket and bat in the top six, for example, then it frees up all kinds of options. And this is what a modern captain needs. Sam Curran, um, if Ben Stokes isn't fit, Sam Curran becomes less of, a, less of an option, I think. On very big turning pitches, Sam Curran becomes less of an option. But if in England's setup of 20-odd test match cricketers, uh, horses for courses being increasingly the, the reality of picking test match teams, then I think Sam Curran absolutely earns his place within that, within that collective at this stage. And I don't, see it, I don't see it going the other way. The one thing that possibly could happen in, in the fullness of time, he is such an effective T20 player. Um, you know, he, he tore it up for Chennai in the IPL. And he, this, this, this was out in Dubai. Not great conditions for an English seamer, but he has that thing that, that he affects games of cricket. It may be that in time, his career takes him more down the white ball route, possibly. But as things stand, I still think he has a he has a role to play for England in the setup, in the twenty man setup. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Phil that he's he's a useful player, particularly in the kind of current environment where where you need to use a lot of players and we've got a huge uh, fixture schedule. But I would have had Wokes well ahead of Curran uh, for this series if he'd been properly fit and available. And the suggestion was because he obviously he'd had to um he'd have to isolate because he'd been a close contact to Mo and Ali so although he was available I think he hadn't really had the the, the overs in his in his legs to to get him that chance he would be comfortably ahead of Curran for me with the ball and with the bat actually the way he batted against Pakistan in the summer was a reminder that he is a test quality all-rounder um, having had a bit of a lean run up till then so I think Curran's useful to have but I think he only really plays in the games when England are rotating people uh, or if there are a couple of injuries and then he comes in but as I, it's always been the impression it will be a much more useful test cricketer uh, in England than outside. And I don't think he's done anything to suggest otherwise in his test career so far. I think he had a really good winter last year with the ball. Um, and Ben, I know we've talked about this before. We talked about it the other day. He's actually, he's, he's younger than Chris Wokes was when Chris Wokes made his test debut. And Sam mm. Curran's now played 20 odd test matches. Yeah, well, I think just, just in terms of looking at where Sam Curran will go, I think when, when he made his debut, he was, you know, so exciting, or at least in that India series, it was so exciting. You're kind of wondering, is he the heir to kind of like that Stokes position at number six, uh, breaking the end open with the bat and the ball? I don't think he's going to end up as a test number six. You actually need to be like a properly good batsman to do that. I think he needs to be like at least one of the top 10 best batsmen in the country to end up there. And I think, I mean, number seven is his spot where he's seven or eight, where he can kind of like crack the odd match changing 70 odd. But I think with the ball, actually, it's been, I think, the fact that we've not really known what Sam Curran is or like 
what kind of test pay is going to be. And there's that batting factor in there. It's kind of diminished, actually, how promising the start to his career has been with the ball. Like, obviously, when you look at it on paper, there's nothing like, you know, it's not huge pace. You're wondering, like, why he is so effective. But I think that, so, think, think back to the first test of that India series. It was with the ball that he first made an impact. He took, what, three top-order wickets, bowling, like, near 85 miles an hour and swinging it loads. And, like, those skills, I mean, they're not, you know, the Mark Wood, Joffre Archer-type skills that England are kind of looking for now, but they are. They will be hugely useful, especially in a few years' time. And if you look at, you know, comparing the start of his career to Broad Anderson, his bowling record is much better than theirs was at the same stage. If you compare it to Mark Wood's now, his record is much better. Like, I think he actually is, like, a very promising left-arm swing bowler. And there's only a little bit. I th- and I think the other thing, sorry, is that when you like when people talk about Sankar and making things happen and it's used as kind of like an underhand thing in that he's almost sort of like a passenger in that it's like Sankar is there and then things happen around him and it's like but I, th- I think it actually also reflects his kind of game sense and his wherewithal as well as his just like hunger for the big match situations I think when there's like a partnership developing say or there's like a clutch moment in the game he is good at identifying kind of what he needs to bowl in that situation and at moulding his game to fit those scenarios, which has come to the fore in T20 cricket as well. But he, I think he's a, a, a very intelligent bowler, and he basically only needs to add like like it's like a little bit of consistency and a little bit of speed, which will come as he ages, I think. And he'll be a very very promising Test bowler, I think. I mean that that all might not happen, but I think that's the the root him is that he'll be a, a, a frontline bowler in time who is also like capable of changing games with that. I think is how I see Sam Curran's career progressing. I, I would I would echo what Ben's saying about his his kind of his nose for the moment as well, and and he gets damned with with faint praise sometimes on Twitter, but I actually think it's it's a positive thing. Um, just on, on the side of his batting, just briefly, his red ball batting it's very difficult, isn't it, for a cricketer who plays on his wits. Um, he's a sea ball hit ball kind of raw, untrammeled cricketer in his early years. It's very difficult for a red ball cricketer who bats at seven or eight when he plays and is primarily employed as a white ball cricketer in the modern world to develop his game to become a top six batsman. You can't really do it in the, on the odd test match that he plays. And it's very difficult for him to do it for Surrey either because the IPL is his, is his place now. His IPL in the early part of the English season is where he plays his cricket. So then you look, you look through and then inevitably late, late, late summer, he'll be involved with England squads in white ball cricket and so on. So it's very difficult to to give him 10, 12 knocks in English season to develop. He's never made a first-class 100, for example. Um, and so what we see in those early parts of his career when he's gone out there, he's at four sixes in a match-changing 60-odd, um, and you think, my God, what can this player become with the bat? Well, it's very difficult to find out. As we've seen with Josh Butler, he's needed to play a lot of red ball cricket in order to crack it at that level. Sam Curran is not really going to have that kind of opportunity. And so he ends up being imprisoned, if you like, by, uh, by play, playing off the cuff, seeing it, hitting it, play, playing not the, not the moment and not, he's not playing technically, but playing, playing on, on a whim almost. And that's okay when you're young and you're batting at eight. But if you ultimately want to become a top six, top seven batsman at that level, then you need to get some, some, some experience under your belt. And he just can't. It's not his fault, but it's just not out there for him. Joe, there was a question on Dom Sibley that I thought was quite interesting. This is from Billy Johnson. Do England fans react too fast to performances and refuse to think long-term? 
e.g. Sibley saying his spot was the most in danger and then after one knock in which he was massively helped by some poor captaincy, although he batted well, we say, well, he's dead on to start the India series. What do you think about that? Um, it is a very interesting question and I'm, uh, I would say, guilty of it in that uh, we, for the latest issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, which went to print last week, we unwisely chose our top seven for India before the second test in Sri Lanka. Uh, now, Phil and I both didn't pick Sibley in that side. Yaz did, looking smug there. Um, but I think Phil and I differ on whether we would change our mind now. I think, well, Phil can say for himself, but I think Phil would still not pick Sibley. I personally think that um, whilst I don't think Sibley's going to score a mountain, ru- mountain of runs in India, I think he has shown such significant improvement in such a short period of time. Um, and, and he's also taken England over the line in a big test match in Asia, which isn't an easy thing to do, that he does deserve a chance to show that he can do it in India. Uh, in part because his replacement would probably be Rory Burns, or you could shuffle it around, and Burns hasn't had such a compelling England career so far that you, that you have to pick him. Um, and I think it also sets kind of a bad precedent if Sibley has dropped at this stage, having done what he just did uh, in the test match. Oh, I mean, that said, he was fortunate to survive three LBWs, which were mighty close. But then Joe Root was given out LBW in the first innings of the first test, just survived and went on to score a double hundred. Now, so these ifs and buts, I don't think should really come into it to that extent. The fact is Sibley scored an unbeaten half century and battling into victory. Therefore, in my mind, uh, deserves to play the first test in India. But Phil, tell, tell me I'm wrong. You're not, you're not wrong. It's, it's simply <laughs> your opinion, Joe. Um, I, just as, as an aside, what a beautiful moment when uh, Dick Weller asked uh, Sibley if he thought he was going to start the India series. <laughs> he said, well, I don't know. I haven't had a very good series against you lot. Um, he gave a lovely interview afterwards, Dom Sibley. He's a really likeable bloke, actually. Um, and and I, like, I like him as a cricketer. Always have. Uh, I, like, I, like his, I like his balls. I like the way that he gets the most out of what he has. My concern, as I've said millions of times, is that I don't think he has the game... For, that, for those conditions, he's not set up to play in those conditions. What he, what he managed to do in that fourth inning was ride his luck, bunt it into the leg side. There were some shocking fields set right from the start by Chandamel. Um, and, and he was able to, to, to get away with those marginals. And he, and he, did, uh, he did rousingly well, um, considering he'd made six runs in three innings. But looking at his, his record over the summer as well, um, there were a lot of blobs in there, a lot of single-figure scores. He didn't have a great summer in conditions which you would have thought would have suited him. Uh, and I just feel that on balance, he would be hanging in there against India uh, and asking for trouble in the end. I don't think they would be as accommodating as Chad Mal was with the fields that Cody's going to set. Uh, Ashwin is a bigger threat and they'll find a left-arm spinner as well. So yeah, on, on balance by a nose, I picked Burns and I, and I would stick by that. But as I also said in the piece that, that the three of us wrote, um, I can see things being all kinds of funky by the end of the series. I can see Pope being up the top. I can see Bairstow opening and Pope at three. I can see all kinds of permutations. But my instinct is that Sibley's qualities as a test match batsman lie elsewhere, not in, not in the likes of India and Sri Lanka. I've, I'm really impressed by, by the speed at which he can improve, though. Um, it's not the first time in his short test career there have been serious question marks over his ability to do certain things. And there's a lot of um, analysis on the angle with which he defends um, from the Sky commentary team. And we've talked about this on the, on the show before, about the trend of batsmen increasingly becoming square on to face quick bowling. And, you know, 
I don't know anything about phasing spin bowling in, in Asia, but all the commentators seem to be saying that that, that is a, a recipe for disaster in, in Asia when the ball's, particularly when the ball's spinning away from you. And it's something that Zach Crawley struggled with as well. I, in, in that second innings of the, of the second test, he was defending in a totally different way. The angle, everything was going more mid-off, um, really. There was, there's, there's still quirks in his game. That's, there, there always will be with Sibley. But I, I'm impressed by the speed at which he improves. Um, when, you know, look, look at Anderson and Brawl, they're still improving at 34, 38. I think I see Sibley as someone who, who could, maybe not yet, but could one day become quite a good spinner, and uh, quite a good player off spin in Asia. Um, but yeah, just on Chandimal's captaincy, what, had he ever seen Sibley play before? Um, having three men back on the leg side, having a lot, I think he had a lot, I think Sibley got off the mark with a single down to long off. Um, he could barely buy a run. It was totally bizarre. Uh, Rob Key said it on commentary, didn't he? He said he's just one of those captains that sets uh, the same field to every batsman, which I think was Rob Key not wanting to say he's a rubbish captain because that's clearly what he would, what he meant. I mean, it was bizarre. It was like this sort of the village captain who just can't really be asked to change the field because they'd rather just get off quickly. Uh, and Chad and I kept it exactly the same for two entirely different batsmen. No, it was very strange. Um, we've not mentioned uh, Lassie Emble Dinia really yet. He had an amazing test below. He was 10 wickets in the match. Um, and his 40 with a bat in the second innings gave England something really to worry about. And it looked for, for, for a bit that that might have been the difference between the two sides. I think that he's going to take many, many test wickets if Sri Lanka play enough test matches in the years to come. I was looking um, up the, the spinners with the most test wickets before turning 25. Um, who, who do you think is top of that list? Barbara John? Yeah, he took 199 test wickets before turning 25, which is absolutely loads. Yeah, Emil Dinny is not quite there yet, but I think he's going to take loads of wickets. How cool is he as well? I've never seen such a kind of muted wicket, which kept throwing me as well. I kept thinking, oh, actually, is is he not giving it? Uh, Because he just kind of strolled down high five. Also, these were the big wickets as well. Especially as well, the commentators couldn't see what was going on. They were were commentating off the TV and they were as confused as we were and we were being led... (laughs) by the commentators. Um, since we recorded last week's show, England announced their squad for the first two tests of their series in India. As part of their rotation policy for their all-format stars, Johnny Bairstow, Sam Curran and Mark Wood will miss the first two tests, whilst Josh Butler will miss the last three. Phil, this is, this is being done with player welfare in mind. The guys who played in the IPL um, and are likely to play in the IPL would have been in bubbles almost for a year. What do you make of England using a test series away to arguably the best side in the world as a time to rest some of their players? Um, I think it, it's a really knotty and difficult one, isn't it? Um, I think it, it comes from the right place. Uh, my concern is that the uh, good sense behind the decision may end up actually exacerbating the mental strain that is already placed on, the, on these, these players rather than alleviating it. Uh, the reason why I say that is because England's um, three players that are going home, Bairstow, Sam Curran, Mark Wood now, and then Josh Butler after the first test. Those first three missed the first two games and Josh Butler then misses the next three. So if Josh Butler misses 75% of this series. Uh, but they're going home for less than two weeks and then they're returning back to India and then they'll be quarantining for six more days in India before then picking up the cudgels again and going again. Now, I don't know. 
it's all in. It's all in. It's up to the players in the end. And Ed Smith has made this point, and it's a fair and valid point that the players themselves have been in close discussion with the management team, and that Joe Root has been a part of these decisions as well. He's also stressed that there's a degree of flexibility. So if if it's not absolutely set in stone that Josh Butler definitely, for sure, hundred percent goes home after that first test. If he turns around and says, "I'm feeling good. I'm in the prime of my my career, and I want to stay out," they are stressing that they are flexible but um, it's a very very tricky situation this one and from a fan's perspective I think people are within their rights to ask the question uh, that while the circumstances the virus bubble life is in many ways nightmarish and unprecedented as we know and therefore we have to modernize the modern test uh, the modern uh, tour by the same token, if certain players have played in the IPL three or four months ago and then they're planning to play in the IPL in two months' time from now or six weeks' time from now, and in the midst of that, it means that they miss large chunks of a marquee test series against the world's number one side, then people are within their rights to say, well, shouldn't they be resting during at least a large chunk of the IPL, if not all of the IPL? And that in this year of years, in the build-up to a World Test Championship and whoever wins out of this India-England series will stand a good chance of being in that final. In this year of years, in Joe Root's so-called defining year as captain, building into this extraordinary run of test matches where England could end up being right at the top of the tree by the end of it, to, for Joe to lose two of his best four players of spin for more than half of the series, that is a significant statement and a statement that a lot of fans will, will be within their rights to question, I would say, when they see them a few weeks on, not just playing white ball cricket for England, but then crucially playing white ball cricket for Rajasthan Royals and the Sunrisers, Hyderabad, etc., etc. It's a very, very difficult one. And I don't think anybody deserves to be judged too harshly on this. Uh, but it, it, it's hard to shake the sense, if you like, that corners are being cut and edges are being softened for a series, a test series that you would like to think, even in the chaos of the current climate, is ring-fenced, sacrosanct, untouchable for the gravitas that we, are, we, we assume it, it has to, 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 to carry. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think Penny, for the thoughts of Joe Root at this point, uh, his actual thoughts, I mean, he's not the sort to kick up a stink. Um, but what must he think that he's had Bairstow and Butler? I'm I, I understand Wood and Curran completely. I'm talking specifically about Bairstow and Butler. To have them unavailable for... I mean, he's about to embark on the toughest challenge any test captain can face in, in cricket. And he's been told that he's not going to have Butler for three quarters of it. Uh, Butler's keeping wicket better than I've ever seen him. Suddenly starting to look a more consistent test batsman. Bairstow, it's the other thing as well. There's, I can absolutely understand the issue they've got. And it's all about identifying possible windows where players can get breaks. But I just think they've got it badly wrong on, on Bairstow and Butler. Bairstow is an infinitely more valuable test cricketer to England over the next month or so than he will become the summer uh, because of his strength against spin and his comparative weakness against seam. So if Bester has to sit out some international cricket in the summer, then fine. Same with Butler, really. I would much rather have Butler available for this India Test Series in India than the home series. I think he will be more valuable again for England there. And I understand the IPL argument. I think in some ways it's a bit of a red herring because it's just going to happen. Uh, so if we're talking about international cricket then rest Butler from the, the white ball leg of the India series uh, the ODI series out there who, who cares really who's going to remember that result in six months t 12 months time 
And the T20 side, sure, they're building t- towards a T20 World Cup, but Butler is absolutely ensconced as an opener in that side. They know where he's batting. Uh, and it would be a decent chance to have a look at someone else. Can Jason Roy have a proper run in the side uh, alongside, say, Bairstow? Or Banton gets a look, or, and we'll come on to this later in the show, perhaps this is a chance to give Alex Hales uh, an opportunity ahead of the World Cup. And if it doesn't work out, you can say, well, we gave him a go and it didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the tricky thing is that, obviously, in these efforts to add context to everything, that actually that ODI series even could end up being quite important for England. Like, I mean, you know, it sounds ridiculous to be talking about the Cricket World Cup Super League at a time like this, but England have had a dodgy start. You know, they've only won three of their first six games. If all of a sudden they get, you know, blanked in India, then they're like quite a large chunk of the way through their campaign, having only won a third of their games. And then they end up scrabbling for wins. So they like, have to avoid a, a qualifying tournament. Like, it sounds ridiculous to say, but I mean, like... <laughs> you said it. You said it. It's not going to happen, is it? You said it's ridiculous. No, I don't think there's... It's tough because I don't think there's an easy solution. It's right that the IPL is another tricky one, but as much as, you know, England players have played two IPLs in the space of six months, there's probably never been a more important IPL to England than this one, you know, a few months out from a T20 World Cup in India where they'll be, like, able to, you know, where they'll be able to get information about the players that are likely to be threatening them and uh, be able to improve themselves in those conditions. Like I think that, but, but so I like, if, if that's the trade-off that England have made, if they thought that we have like a, a pretty small chance of making the World Test Championship final, and we're happy to diminish that to improve our very good chances of winning a T20 World Cup, then that might be the right decision. Uh, certainly edging bits. And it's very interesting that that is now the equation, that it could be that chances in a T20 tournament are being put above Test cricket. And that's why I say penny for the thoughts of Joe Root, who isn't even involved in that T20 side. And also Anderson and Broad, who are reaching the end of their career. This is a chance for a, a kind of marquee victory in India. Uh, and they're looking at their batting lineup saying, well, we've not got our best batting lineup to take on the best top five in their own conditions in, in world cricket. To me, it just doesn't make any sense. And this is not to say, this is such a puzzle that, that Ed Smith is never going to produce something that we all just nod our heads and go, oh, yeah, he's nailed it. That's perfect. So I understand that. But I do think in these two cases, these are odd decisions that he's got, that he's got wrong. Um, the, the, the notion, the argument that uh, England's main uh, cohort of T20 players who are already in the IPL has to play the IPL and play all of the IPL in this year of years, I think that's the hoariest and silliest argument of the lot, personally. Um, Stokes, Butler, Bairstow, Archer... Their, their games in 20-over cricket are as, as honed and developed as they will ever be. Um, they're not going to benefit in the skills and experience element of this by a few more, few more games of white ball cricket in Indian conditions. They are vastly experienced cricketers in 20-over cricket. Um, and just as an aside, four years ago, before the IPL had conquered the world and conquered the England setup, they were one crazy over away from, from nicking that one anyway. Ten years ago, they won the thing. Or 11 years ago, they won the thing. So... I just don't buy that as a, as a point. I don't buy that. I think there's, there's something laudable about trying to make all the formats more equitable. I guess there is something laudable in that for sure. Uh, but I think if you were to ask 20 England fans, would you rather see Bairstow and Butler rested for the, the white ball leg uh, and available for all of the test match leg, then I think 19 out of 20 would say yes. Um, and just, just finally, as NASA put it, you know, there are certain, certain test matches, certain test series that are uh, untouchable 
and, and he said, would, would we be going into the first test match at Brisbane with, a, with an understrength side? Of course we wouldn't. Um, and his argument, and mine too, is, is why should a, an away series against India uh, be less, less precious, less untouchable than, a, than an away series against Australia? Yeah, I wonder if what it just needed was just slightly more just flexibility, I guess. And you know, I know you said they have the flexibility if Butler goes out and crashes 150 and is feeling great after the first one. But my personal way of doing it, and again, worth saying that we, we don't know exactly all, all the logistics that come into play, but it's, it, it is very odd that Josh Butler has to leave after the first test. We'll be back in India before the start of the third, but we'll miss the last three games of the series. It's just a strange situation. Uh, but I would personally have wanted the strongest squad or at least your strongest 11 available for those first two games and then you can sort of reassess then and if you're 2-0 down that's when you can kind of play the kids and give people a bit of rest whereas if you're sort of 1-1 and it's looking like a, an all-time of a series maybe then you're like okay you can have a rest in the, in the white ball leg and we can afford to take a bit of a hit in that one for the chance of something you know like historic essentially. The flip side of it in an in example where it did work well I thought they got much more out of Mark Wood in the last test match because they knew he wasn't going to India. I don't think they'd have bowled as many overs or been able to bowl quite as quick as he did in those overs if it wasn't for the fact that this rest period was coming. So with the bowlers, I think it makes much more, much more sense and it's, it's, more, um, it's clearer to see what they're trying to do. Ben, what's your moment of the week? So uh, my moment of the week is uh, courtesy of the, uh, the Somerset CCC newsletter. Uh, we're probably getting their first mention on the podcast, I reckon. Uh, it was a headline that read... Uh, Cain and Abel set for biblical encounter, which is probably only slightly over-egging a uh, first-class warm-up game for a two-test series in the beginning of the English summer. Uh, but it's a lovely piece of wordplay. Uh, and I think, you know, as, as much as, you know, that, that, that pun is nice, uh, it's, I think, I'm really, really looking forward to that test series. I know it's a two-test series, and you'd rather it was a, a three-test series, and, you know, there's, there's bigger changes to come, and maybe it'll all get lost in it. But actually, just think back to how good that two-test series was last time with, you know, like near classics a big chance for New Zealand the team away from home against the best in the world to show how good they really are and also to give them a really good chance in that World Test Championship final which I think is what we all want to see as a New Zealand win in that I think Joe what's your moment of the week? Uh, mine was a, a pair of innings actually the first one was on Friday uh, Alex Hales uh, smashed a century his fourth T2000 for Sydney Thunder in the Sydney Derby 110 from 56 balls, just the eight sixes in there. And then three days later, 63 not out from 39 balls to thrash Adelaide strikers and confirm Thunder's place in the finals. Uh, Hales is now the leading run scorer in the Big Bash. 535 runs, a strike rate of 164, averaging 41, 100, 350s. He's in electric form. Uh, it's worth adding, Jason Roy is also having a very good Big Bash. Uh, he's got a couple of 50s as well, but his number's really pale in comparison to Hales, which kind of brings us back to Hales, England, will he, won't he? Um, in his most recent press conference, Ed Smith said he expected things to stay as they are. Uh, clear, it seems like Owen Morgan is not for turning. Uh, and it's almost two years since Hales last played for England and it's hard to see how he's going to get another chance while Morgan is in charge and the clock is ticking. Hales is 32. But Hales' performances in the Big Bash this week did remind me of a line from Ben Stokes's autobiography relating to him being dropped from the England World Cup squads. Uh, Stoke pose, Stokes posed the question as to whether Hales was the level of player that we could make an exception for. Was he so indispensable that he was worth keeping in the squad no matter the sideshow that might ensue? 
no. This was the resounding response from myself and other senior players. Well, the question is, is, is Hales getting to the level as a T20 cricketer where an exception should be made that England actually can't afford not to pick him ahead of a T20 World Cup? Um, with the options they have, England will probably still say, yeah, they don't need to pick him. But interestingly, if he does get an IPL deal, which seems very likely, and he tears it up there in the competition that Morgan says is the best competition in the world, he pays a lot of attention to performances there, then things could start to get a bit interesting. Uh, every knock Hales plays, as I'm showing here, we go back to the England question. Uh, and, and pressure is building. And whilst England do have clearly so many top-order options, it's also quite clear that with the exception of Joss, but with the exception of Joss Butler, that Alex Hales is the best of them. That that's going to be the the game changer is 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 if he has if he gets picked up in the IPL and has a good IPL. I mean, they've been lot they've been English players have had good big bashes before and not really set the world alight for England. I mean, Tom Banton last year had an amazing big bash. Um, has has had good moments with England. Uh, struggled in the PSL, struggled in the IPL. So I think a bit a good IPL for Hales completely changes the discussion. It, two years is a long time. Um, and but the, my, one thing I would say on this, I, I just don't think we know the full story. Um, I think uh, it's, it's, I think it's probably quite complicated, and we don't know all the details. Um, and who knows, we, we might do one day, but I don't think we do now. Phil, uh, I, I don't think the IPL will have much bearing on it. I just don't see him playing for England as long as Owen Morgan's captain. I just don't see it. But knowing Morgan as we do, knowing uh, the 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 power and influence that Morgan has, the authority that he exudes, I just can't see it. And, and I think there is a stubborn streak in Morgan and an independent uh, element of Morgan's character, which is laudable and which he spoke to Joe about in the, the, the upcoming magazine. Uh, all of that counts in Morgan's favour, but it also means that he's not for turning. And um, I don't really think it matters much what Hales does in the IPL. This is Morgan's decision and he will end up looking slightly, slightly weaker for it uh, if, if he were to go back on it. My personal feeling is that I think it's, I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty grim behaviour, I have to say. Um, it's gone way beyond uh, what I thought was, was a reasonable punishment in the first place. Uh, we know certain bits um, that we can't talk about on air. Uh, uh, but to, to as Joe says, to be punished now what, over two years or coming up to two years and, and, and more, more, more down the line for a player in the prime of his career, not for me. I don't like it. But Morgan has his reasons and they are those. I think, I think you're probably right, Phil. I think whatever he does in the IPL, it probably won't make any difference. I think it's just how much the debate is talked about will we'll emphasise. But I think an interesting point, I think actually Ben made this on a podcast quite a long time ago, that if Hales was never going to play for England again, then why not say that? Why not? Ed Smith just said the door is still open. Owen Morgan said time is needed to heal this. So if that was all rubbish, then why say it? I think it would actually be fairer to Hales just to say, basically to retire him from, from international cricket rather than have this kind of pretense of, a oh, the door's always open. Uh, you can never say never. Well, there's been a lot of international cricket away from the England-Sri Lanka series this week. As we record this, the first day of Pakistan's home test series against South Africa is coming to an end. Uh, Imran Butt and Norman Ali making their debuts as the hosts. South Africa were bowled out for 220 in their first innings and Pakistan are currently 33 for four. 
in South Africa, South Africa women are taking on Pakistan women in an ODI series. The third game is going on as we speak. The first two games are great, with South Africa winning them by three runs and 13 runs, with Pakistan's lower order making those contests very, very interesting indeed. Shabnin Ismail was player of the match in the first ODI, taking 3-42, and Marizan Kapp with a star in the second, scoring a rapid 68 not out for number six before taking a three for with the ball. In Bangladesh, Shakib Al-Hassan made his return to international cricket following his year-long ban. Bangladesh beat a very inexperienced West Indies side 3-0. The tourists had 10 players opting out of that tour for personal reasons or over concerns with COVID-19. Shakib averaged over 50 with a bat and under 10 with the ball in that series. The test series between the two sides kicks off next week. Ben, Bangladesh are now ranked second in the Cricket World Cup Super League. And I know that we kind of laugh when either of us ever bring this up on the show, but these games are effectively World Cup qualifiers. When do you think people, I mean, fans and members of the media, will start taking this a bit more seriously? A big team, at least one big team, who everyone will expect to qualify for the World Cup will not automatically qualify for the World Cup and will have to go through an additional qualifying tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think people take notice once it comes because they realise that that's actually a possibility. And even then, if it's, you know, the likes of Sri Lanka or West Indies, say, who look like missing out, then they probably won't even care too much then. I think they'll be kind of sort of expected and there'll be maybe a couple of pieces sort of on the group websites, but not in the newspapers written about, like, what's happened to these teams and everything will kind of go back to normal. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice idea, the World Cup Super League, and hopefully, in a way, a big team does and maybe all be England kind of stumble through it and have to sort of really pull their socks in to get to the tournament without going through a qualifying uh, event. Uh, I don't think West Indies have taken this lightly at all by how weak in their team is. I think they, like their players have made quite reasonable demands over their personal well-being, which is obviously fine. But I think maybe we'll see teams take a bit more seriously as it goes down the line. But, but I think, yeah, it's uh, not, not yet crowd people yet, I think. Mm. Elsewhere, Afghanistan are 2-0 up against Ireland in Abu Dhabi. The third game is also going on as we speak. In the first ODI, teenage opener Ramanala Gurbaz hit a runner ball 127 on ODI debut. He's an exciting player. Andy McBride took Pfeiffer with three wickets caught by Kevin O'Brien at leg slip, which you don't see very often in an ODI. Uh, Paul Sterling scored 128 in the second ODI, but that wasn't enough as Afghanistan chased Ireland's 159 down with ease as Ramat Shah scored an unbeaten tonne. Um, there was also a very cute video of uh, Kevin O'Brien's kids reacting very excitedly uh, to seeing their dad on the TV screen. So worth looking for that one on Twitter if you haven't seen that already. Joe, there's a new magazine coming out. What's in it? There is. Um, yeah, it's out on Thursday this week. Um, the big feature which kind of grew and grew uh, is uh, the Disruptors, the 21 people who have shaped the course of English cricket in the 21st century. So we put this out to the, the great and good of the game, asking them for their suggestions. We got more than 100 names back. We then whittled that down to 50. And then the uh, WCM editorial team sat down and, and narrowed that down to 21. And we've profiled them. We've spoken to people know that, who know them best about why they've made such a big impact and how their impact has been felt. Uh, there's a couple of interviews in there. I, I interviewed Owen Morgan, uh, who really kind of embodies this idea of a disruptor, this Irishman who's come over and kind of rewritten the history of English cricket. Uh, and uh, I think we're actually going to have some audio from that interview next week, are we, yes? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We'll have a bit of that more in discussion on next week's pod. So that kind of dominates the mag. That's That's been a really good fun thing to put to put together. Um, 
interested to hear what everyone thinks about that. Any names we've missed out? I'm sure there'll be several people who have, have points to make. Um, we've also got a Joss Butler interview done by Taha, which was kind of fittingly enough about his evolution as a test cricketer and the struggles he's had and the fact that he thinks he, he's starting to crack it, which we obviously have just seen in, in Sri Lanka, more evidence of that. Um, another lovely thing, we, so we've got, we've kind of freshened things up a bit for the new year, a bit of a redesign, people are into that stuff, uh, but uh, five new features in there, one of which is from our new columnist, Andy Zaltzman, who obviously people will know as the, the TMS scorer and comedian. Uh, Andy Zaltzman's number palace is, is the new feature. He picks out the number, number 42 for his first, uh, first piece and explores it in some depth, doesn't he, Phil? It is a genuinely extraordinary piece of work. I still can't quite work out how he's done it. Yeah, bang on. It's a mystery, and I don't think he's going to reveal the tricks of his trade. But he takes the number 42. It takes us on a journey through the history of cricket as told by the number 42. Of course, the, the answer to the universe in, in Douglas Adams' book, Hitchhiker's Guide, which, he, which begins Zaltzman's piece. Um, he also emailed me yesterday and said, have you, have you gone to press yet? It's just that Joe Root scored 42% of England's runs in the last Test Series. So, so uh, the man never sleeps. Um, his hair is all outside his head because he doesn't want to get it too tangled up inside his brain. Uh, that's a Bob Dylan line, by the way. And yeah, he, he's, uh, he's a, a great addition to, to an increasingly impressive stable. Izzy, Izzy Westbury, Adam Collins, uh, Andrew Miller, um, and, and some other good ones as well. Um, you know, I don't like to talk about myself, gentlemen, but uh, I interviewed Mithili Raj. I mentioned this last week. Gorgeous interview, I thought. Um, I didn't have to do anything. She just went ahead and spoke to me for 45 minutes. That's in there as well. Uh, John Stearns as well done a, done a brilliant piece on uh, England's uh, notoriously wild tour of the West Indies, 1980-81, under both them. The cancelled Guyana Test match. Robin Jackman, who of course passed away unfortunately in December, uh, his presence on that tour resulted in that Test match being being cancelled because of his links to South Africa. Uh, and it's a really masterful piece of work by John, uh, who tells the full story with the help of some of the people who were there. So, so yeah, it's it's a good one. This I think um, uh, with some excellent writing in it. I would say from top to bottom. And just on the disruptors, we have some 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 people who have. Uh, been commissioned as well to contribute to it. So Heather Knight's written a couple of pieces. Mark Butcher's written a piece as well. Freddie Wiles written a piece. Of course, Joe, Joe and I have done a fair amount as well. So it's, it's a good range as ever. It's a beautiful world-class piece of work, I have to say. Just on um, your interview with Natalie Raj, so you're claiming that you didn't speak for the entire 45 minutes? Um, believe it or not, I said very little. All right, let's just leave it there. Okay, okay. The, um, the, the, the stuff on the West Indies tour is fascinating. We should maybe do a podcast on that um, later in the year. That, that's yeah, why not, eh? Let's do a podcast. Yeah, why not? Cheers, guys. Cheers for listening, folks. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends, and we'll be back next week ahead of the first test between India and England at Chennai. Cheers. Podcast Network.